Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. What's up and welcome to this Comic Book Nation bonus round episode where we are talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, the new franchise reboot for TMNT. I know I'm going to mess that up all throughout this podcast, but that's okay. Joining me today, the rest of the Comic Book Nation regular hosting crew is off doing their thing, but they will be back for our regular show on Friday. So I have brought not only two TMNT experts, but two comedy experts with me. They were just talking shop before we uh, started the show here. You know him from Daily Distraction, our own and many, many comic book interviews. Our own Mr. Chris Killian is here. And from our anime team. And do you do gaming? I always forget. Do you do gaming? I do a little bit of everything. Oh, yeah. Okay. So he's another Swiss Army. Gaming wrestling. Evan is a jack of all trades. Yeah, he's a Swiss Army knife. We have we have several types of comic books. I know books. I know quite I, a bit. Yeah, I'm a Swiss Army knife too. So we got another Swiss Army knife with us. Uh, Mr. Evan Valentine is back on the show. Hey everybody. So as I said, we are just some uh, older, older, slightly older men here to uh, revisit our nostalgia of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from way back when. We date date not specified. There's been a lot of these things. But uh, and compare it to what we have just seen in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Uh, full disclaimer, this is a bonus round episode of Comic Book Nation, the only show that does it all for geek culture. If you're looking for our regular shows, you can go to your favorite podcast platforms or subscribe to the Comic Book Nation YouTube page, where we do our normal kind of uh, going around geek culture, talking about all things that's spoiler-free. This is going to be a spoiler-filled podcast. That's why we put spoilers discussion in the title. But in case anybody's confused or just fell in here, yes, we will be talking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, and full spoilers. So, that's enough preamble from me. Let's get into it. Let's just take a kind of quick around the room. I said we do this in two parts, just in case people want to listen to this before and after they see the film. We do our non-spoiler reactions first, just to get a sense of where everybody stands with this film. And then we'll go around and kind of break down the movie in more specifics, all right? So, uh, let's start with the one mystery, because... Evan and I kind of talked before this, so I know how he feels, but Chris, I think you're the biggest mystery out of the three of us. How did you feel about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem? Um, I I loved it, man. I thought it was awesome. Uh the I mean the the it's a fresh take on the turtles, and you know, who knew that actually treating them like teenagers was the secret to kind of revitalizing them a little bit. 
Uh, I got a couple of issues with the movie, but like minor issues. But overall, I, I think it's a great reboot of the Turtles. I enjoyed it much more than the previous reboot that we had with like the Michael Bay sort of series. I think it's way better than that. Um, but it, I would say on my list, I, I like one and two, the original two movies are still like top tier for me because I, I, I just love those movies and I think they're so fun and they've aged, I think pretty well. And especially the first one, it had such a good tone to like the original comics. Um, and then I really love the TMNT 2007 one, but this is right up on par with that. I would say, I would say it's kind of, uh, you know, up in the air between those two right there. All right. So yeah, you and I kind of follow on the same, on the same path here. Uh, I feel kind of the same way. I've been a long-time Turtles fan. Those first two live-action movies were big deals to me. Those were, like, life-changing movies to me back in the day. Mm -hmm. And I also was, like, really impressed with the 2007 reboot. Uh, I think this is the more interesting take on the Turtles because it does... It's really hard to have a franchise that's run this long and still feel like you can open new doors or actually crack the framework open and do something new with it. But it is kind of weird because this movie kind of retroactively makes me feel incredibly bad about how I've looked at these characters because I've never really have considered what it's like to be a teenage person living yeah. in a sewer and being like, oh, maybe I don't want to do that or have this life. Or maybe it is not so awesome that we sing songs about it. But uh, so t that take of the characters was kind of really interesting and made me be like, oh, yeah, I've never really looked at these characters that way. And I think I don't think any other of the of the films have necessarily done that. I also think that the difference between the 2007 and this one is I feel like this one sets up a franchise universe that has already pulled me in and, and makes me want to come back and see more. Whereas the 2007 one was like, oh, that was a cool like vision of the turtles. But I didn't necessarily be like, OK, there should be a whole franchise of this and I'm ready to jump back in. You know what I mean? Yeah, it reminds me, there's been this meme going around recently that's got like Conor McGregor wearing a backpack and the meme is like every high school student in Spider-Man. And that's sort of like this old adage that like high school students were actually always played by like guys in their 30s and, you know, stuff like that. So I, I think that that is very relevant to the Turtles, right? Because they've always come across more like surfer dudes or something rather than like teenagers. And so now this is the first time when I actually authentically felt like like it says they're 15 in the movie and they actually honestly feel younger than that to me. They're more like 12 or 13 in my in my mind with the way they're acting. But I I, I love that they really zeroed in on on how they are like very inexperienced, immature, uh, hormonal teenagers. I love that. Evan, I know you have a different take. So you actually reviewed uh, the movie on comicbook.com. So you can go on comicbook.com backslash movies and read Evan Valentine's full official review of Mutant Mayhem. But uh, why don't you just give us the verbal version here? Yeah, sure. Um, so while I didn't necessarily love it as much uh, as you both, I still thought it was an exceptionally solid take on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And to kind of extrapolate on what you said, Kofi, um, I really am excited to see what they do in the future with this. And since this is, uh, you know, a, a spoiler review, we can talk about this kind of stuff. Uh, one of the things that I found most exciting about this was that it is going in a direction that has never, as far as I know, and I've, I'm, I have a pretty good handle on all these different incarnations of the Turtle Brothers, but... Um, 
for the most part, I don't think that they've ever had a storyline involving the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that has focused on them actually going to high school and being known by the general public and attending class and all this other stuff. So I'm really anxious and excited to see like how that plays out in um, a TV show, in the sequel that has already been confirmed and everything. Um, and for my review in general, I think that um, a lot of uh, the title of my review was, my, you know, mutant mileage may vary. I think that there's a lot of things in this movie that work. And I think that there's a lot of things that don't necessarily uh, work as well as they could have, especially if you watch this movie, maybe like even a year from now. I think that some of the jokes just won't hit as hard. It's a product of its time. And that's both a strength and a weakness for it. And um, I'm anxious. I'm I'm really happy at the fact that so many people are loving this movie because I can understand the strengths of the movie. I just I'm a little more critical on this one than most, I think. OK, well, let's talk to our second kind of non-spoiler, easy subject matter to discuss, which a lot of people have asked about, which was the animation style of this movie and the kind of the stylistic portion of it in general. A lot of people, of course, making the comparisons to Spider-Verse, and there is, you know, with, with good reason, there is this kind of living comic book, living drawing style that this movie does. Uh, it's a little bit, it's very different than Spider-Verse when you kind of get into the finer points of it. I think when you're in the movie and in the world and immersed in it, it definitely feels like same kind of concept, but different style. I think what also surprised me about this is how well they do sequencing in this movie. This movie has like quite a few kind of actual fun, creatively done sequences. Um, there's like the first, and we're going to talk about this all in, when we get into specifics, but like a lot of the action scenes are done in very creative ways that I, that I thought from like the Turtles first battle in like a machine workshop to like when they're going through this montage we saw in the trailer, if you're watching, of when they're looking for the villain and they're going across town and fighting these various people. There's this whole funny montage about these different crime bosses and them like going through this fighting and it's all well done. The soundtrack is slapping like, and there are some really kind of slick stylistic sequences that director, uh, who was it, Jeff Rowe? Um, yeah. Yeah, put together in this. And I was really kind of impressed by that. So I think people shouldn't worry about the animation. Like when you, there are, I mean, we saw the trailers, but when you get into the actual world of the film, they do some really fun things with animation and kind of play with it. There's that, I love that part in the bat, the Batman Leonardo part in the beginning where they kind of, and I think people, if you're a diehard fan, there are a lot of just fun, deep, deep cut Easter egg callbacks that we were debating here in the office. I was talking to Brandon Davis, like from some of the characters, I think that this movie is in on winking at you about knowing like some of this has always been utterly utterly ridiculous and like let now we're at the modern kind of you know postmodern point of turtles where we can look back and be like yeah some of this issue is really silly like some of these characters that we've made are just hilariously silly and some of the concepts like the sewer thing like is is really kind of funny and silly and any like teenager would probably look at that and be like no like this is crazy like i'm living in a sewer and like i think the movie is winking and self-referential and both enjoying turtles lore but also kind of knowing the silly points and having the comedic sensibility to kind of look at that but 
that's a very uh, abstract concept to talk about without spoilers, but uh, there it is. What did you guys think about kind of like the look and the aesthetic of the movie? Um, Evan, you want to go? I thought, yeah, sure. Uh, so one of the one of the things I talked about um, uh, in my review is uh, I have to applaud this movie for its animation style. It seems like a giant risk in terms of being able to the way I describe it is it almost looks like um and I hope I'm pronouncing this right but uh Leica film um like Coraline um yeah. Kubo and the Three Yeah Spring. like claymation yeah yeah like like stop motion claymation but with like a Spider-Verse aesthetic kind of painted across it and for that I think that like that works exceptionally well. Like like Kofi was saying, especially with like the action sequences, which I think they could have used a bit more of uh, at the end of the day, but those work surprisingly well. I think that they work um, very well when it comes to uh, how the turtles fight, how everything kind of interacts with, interacts with one another. I think that all the mutant designs really pop with that. The human designs are a little... Um, they, they're kind of, um, they look a little more mutant sometimes than the mutants themselves, which can kind of be a little offsetting, but I think that ultimately, like, I wouldn't change this animation style for the world. I think it just works exceptionally well in terms of what they're trying to achieve with it. Yeah, I also, I love the animation style for the most part. Like, I really felt like it was, like, it, 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 it met, like, it hit that level of grittiness that I love from the comics, right? That it's it's like dark and shadowy and all that stuff, but then the colors are so vivid and pop like the cartoons. I thought they'd really mesh that together well. If I mean overall, it, I mean it's a it's just a beautiful movie. If if I had any criticism at all, it would be some of the character designs I found to be a little on the frumpy side. Like I like Splinter and April O'Neil and and Leatherhead and a few of the mutants. They're all sort of short and real stocky. And I didn't like the way some, I love the way the turtles look themselves. But like some of the other characters, I found to be a little bit too. I like frumpy is just a good word to no, describe. No, but I know what you're describing. Yeah, yeah. They all look. Yeah. They have that like they look weird Adams very family. compact. Yeah. Kind of. And uh, and I wasn't crazy about that. I wish you know that we they would have looked a little bit more normal. So the like to Evan's point, so the mutants could look a little bit more uh, uh, incredible, I guess. But uh, but other than that, other than that criticism of some of the character designs. I think the animation itself is beautiful. I mean, it's it's just yeah. gorgeous. My my only takeaway, and that's not a defense, is I, I think for me it was just that they kind of broke the general kind of sense of humanoid realism so that you could buy some of the kind of wilder things that this was a world where all this wild stuff exists. Because, yeah, I mean, nobody looks like a typical humanoid in this. There's always some exaggerated portion whether it's the soldiers with like the big chins and like or uh what's her name from tcri maya rudolph's character with the kind of but tiny even chin even the, the mutants movie. though right like even like like rock steady's like very boxy oh yeah and no. he looks like a big giant square and i i didn't love the way that they 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 the proportions on them i didn't care for no it's a, you can see it the most in um raf because each of the turtles is subtly like very designed a little bit differently in their body types and raf is like clearly like the bruiser stocky one who, right. uh, who, though hilarious with his kind of overly teen-inspired <laughs> testosterone violence. Um, yeah, all right, that's enough preamble. We can get into spoilers now. Let's talk about our favorite parts and really dig in. I'm tired of waiting. So 
<laughs> Let's start on a positivity note. What, what was like some of you? What were your, some of you guys' favorite parts? And then we can pick this thing apart if we want to here. Uh, oh, I just I just thought it was hilarious. I mean, I just I mean, they the the, the brothers had very excellent chemistry. Uh, they they felt really like brothers. I think Jackie Chan does a fantastic job as Splinter. Uh, I, I do have some nitpicks about some of the, the stuff in the movie, but overall, the, the story was great. It was fresh. I like that they went sort of the Dark Knight route and like didn't introduce Shredder as like the main big bad right at the beginning, and they've sort of saved him. Um, that would probably be the highlights for me. But they, I think they've done a good job, like really like getting some of that that turtles lore in there and throwing a lot at you without it. It never felt like too much to me, you know. Uh, so that's that's probably my favorite part about this movie. All right. Well, now that you said you had some criticism, this is the part where you want to dig into anything specific you didn't like. Uh yeah. So here's here's my my main thoughts. I. I think that the voices for Donatello and Michelangelo should have been swapped. I found Donatello to be so much funnier, and he sounded like a, the youngest of the brothers. Uh, I, I like I thought all of their voice work did really well, but I kept getting distracted by how not funny I found Michelangelo to be in comparison to like Donatello and Raphael. Uh, when Mikey is supposed to be like the really funny guy, that was that was one of my issues with the voice acting. Um, and then the other issue was like when you were talking about how, you know, wink, wink, the so the story is with some of the sillier elements of the turtles. Uh, for the most part, I agreed that that's it was pretty well done, but I did not like some of the way that they treated the origin for Splinter. The fact that Splinter is just like learns Kung Fu from like 70s action movies was a little too, I try not to get too hung up on it because I'm like, it's a, you know, whatever. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a goofy turtles movie, but you know, there was that, there was that part of me that's like, that's not how it happens. You know? So, you know, I, that's, that's all those, those were my, those were my Wait, two biggest. I got to refresh. How, what, what, what is Splinter's like true origin? How did he, did he like, was he like a rat in somebody's dojo or something? So like it, yeah. He was like a rat for, I can't remember specifically what it is in the comics. There's there's been different origins. At one point, he's been a human that turned into a, a rat. rat. Yeah. But then there, at other points, he was just a rat who was a pet of uh, Shredder's. Uh, I forget his name. Uh, or, or Rokosaki is Shredder, right? Yeah. That's Shredder. So he yeah. So he's like basically the um, the pet rat of somebody that Shredder hates, and Shredder murders his his master and and then you know splinter immediate that's that's the origin in the 90s movie so um but it but he's always been like trained classically you know he's 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 always learned martial arts from like some masters and not from some 70s you know kung fu action films i mean uh, yeah i mean that's again i think no matter how we cut it it's pretty silly but um I it's a that small was it's a like, small gripe like i said no, i know no, i think was, it's I think it's funny just for the YouTube generation because I feel like nowadays that is how people think. Like, they just sit down and, like, watch a bunch of videos and they're like, okay, now I know something. Which, again, I think is a humorous joke. But, um, yeah, at this point, I think the funny thing is, like, TMNT has been done so many times that I literally cannot remember what the official version of anything is. But, yeah, that one, that one's, uh, you got to play fast and loose that these guys were just hanging out in the sewer watching YouTube and learn to be kind of martial arts masters but uh all right that's a fair one what, i'm kind of curious how did you guys because i've heard one of the biggest debate things i've heard is about april the to this take on april o'neill 
who I love that we got the Bears AO at Ibiri here. I thought yeah. she did a great vocal performance. I personally thought I, I loved this take on the April O'Neil character. Like, let me first of all just say, like, in the pantheon of great franchise characters, I am not attached to April O'Neil very much at all because she was just like generic reporter person who discovers turtles. And even over the course of many animated outings, I don't think I ever was like, I don't remember one that was like, man, that April O'Neil episode really got to me. Like, yeah. And yeah, I, I've never had like the biggest crush on April O'Neil because she's just one human who knows turtles are around and knows that they're the guys in the trench coats. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was never really attached to that. I did like how they use that character in this story. And I did love like one of my favorite parts. Cause I never thought this movie would go here would be the, was the puking thing when she auditioned and she starts puking <laughs> all over the desk. Like yeah. I was just, I gave them points for going there and just the ridiculousness of her and the vomit and all that. And I was in the theater with James uh, for Jim Viscardi and I heard him audibly just bust out laughing from like all the way across the theater <laughs> and he couldn't stop. But um, I thought that was hilarious. And I thought, yeah, her whole thing uh, was a good story arc. And that was my favorite part about this. This was the first time in a turtles project that I ever got kind of like emotional, even at a point when they kind of have that Spider-Man two moment with, who was, uh, by the way, I believe Kevin Eastman, who kind of did a cameo there as the New Yorker that comes up to Sprinter finally and is like, do you need some help? Um, and gets him up off the ground. And yeah, that whole Spider-Man 2 thing of getting acceptance and, you know, winning over the public and April finding her way at the same time as Splinter learning his kind of foibles as a dad and how he's been kind of messing up as a dad and all of that. It really did touch me. I was like, oh, this is actually like a good story. And, you know, maybe it's just my own personal issues of acceptance or just struggles of fatherhood at this point that it resonated really, really well with me. But um, I liked that how the way this kind of story came together and actually had like a major point. And like you said, made me just happy and emotional about just seeing something as absurd as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles going to high school. So. I thought that was like a really good part that there was actually thematic weight to this and and kind of like character arcs and and people that actually were different at the end of this story. So yeah, well done for for kind of doing that. Evan, uh, any any high or Nick picks? I gotta have a Nick pick, I guess. Oh Uh, oh yeah. Um, and I don't even know if this is if this is considered a strength or a weakness for the film. This is one of the grossest films I've seen this year. (laughs) I think that the stuff that um like especially like superfly's final form is like very lovecraftian oh yeah um when he's when he's like merging with all the zoo animals and everything that's that's horrific the the giraffe Um, wants me (laughs) i think i i i really enjoyed april i enjoyed the new take on her um and um the the another exceptionally gross bit was master splinter falling in love with i believe its name was oh. scumbag or something what was it the uh scuttlebutt the co- scumbutt? yeah it's a cockroach the cockroach and just the makeout session that they have at the end oh. that was um oh. i i felt myself 
literally like repulsed sitting in my seat. Yeah, they go that, hard which, on that. Like the they, very last 10 minutes, they go real hard on that. Yeah, they go super hard on that. So, you know, mileage may vary on that. Uh, but again, I thought that um, and and just to kind of extrapolate on Chris's points and everything, like, again, kind of looking at the chemistry of the brothers and everything, I thought that that part of the movie worked um, amazingly well. I thought that um, looking back at the original um, like 1984 comic where they all looked exactly the same, they even had the same color headbands and everything. Um, and then even in the original animated series, all of them kind of looked the same, though their headbands were different colors. And I think that's only been recently where they've kind of been changing the physical stature of each of the turtles. And I think that really works well here in terms of like, as you can see from like the footage that's playing, they're not too different from each other. Like in Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where Raphael was like 12 feet tall and the other turtles were like three feet tall or whatever. But um, they they work well in terms of making their different statures kind of burst off the screen and everything while playing on their strengths as um, with regards to their personalities and everything like that. Um, so I thought that really worked well. Um, and in terms of one more nitpick, I will say that I thought that there was, I didn't really necessarily, I didn't necessarily see the need for setting up Cynthia. Uh, is it Utrom? Yeah, I know Utrom, that yeah. like, yeah. Uh, and, and like uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fans will know that like an Utrom is setting the stage for like Krang and that race, like, they're gonna show in the TV show or in the sequel that she's gonna, you know, have a little have a little brain in her stomach just kind of sitting there like um, Krang and his uh, weird mech suit that he had in the original one. But like, I I feel like they yeah, it's like yeah, she she worked well in terms of pushing the milking joke, but um, perhaps they could have like you know kind of pulled back on her a little more um, uh, with setting up and everything. So yeah. All right. Oh, let's see if there's anything else you guys want to hit it on here, Chris Kelly. Yeah, you know, I kind of want. I kind of want to touch on what you said about April too. Like, I I 100 prefer Ao's performance to like say Megan Fox. Like, she did such a great job as 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 April O'Neil, and I love one thing that I loved about April that I, that you guys really didn't say about was talking about the resonating of being a teenager. Right, I loved how. Um, she goes viral for the wrong reasons. And I feel like that's so important to talk about with like teenagers today. And I'm so like, like I, 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 I get down on my knees and I thank the Lord that I did not have Twitter or camera phones when I was in high school. Like it's such a difficult situation to navigate these days to think that something like that could be filmed and you could be like a normal person, like with that, who's not trying to get famous, not trying to do anything. And you go viral for this horrible reason, and that's what you're known for. I mean, I, I, I just that that hurts me to my core to think that like high schoolers have to go through that. And so I thought that that was very uh, important and, and and something that we haven't seen in like a lot of media be sort of represented in that way. And I thought it was a great way to tie her story in with the turtles and how they have similar agendas. Uh, I, I, I just I loved that aspect of the character. That was fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I, I liked April's story. And like like you said, there's a lot of this movie. 
And I wanted to talk to, I know I can't because of the strike, but Seth Rogen about, because I feel like it's ironic that somebody who has no kids, I wanted to be like, do you think you could have made this movie if you actually were in the in the forest of having kids? I feel like it's somebody who has to be outside of this and is observing all this from the outside who can effectively do this. Because there is so much that hit on stuff as a parent, like that you're nowadays just like, and not to you, but I know like you have to deal with your own teen angst stuff right now. And I'm starting to get into that area in, a, in the next five years or so. And it's just like, yeah, um, even with my five-year-old who now understands YouTube and like the quest to make YouTube content. And I'm like, oh my God, like I can't believe at five years old we're already doing this. Like, But I like that the movie also, one of the thematic things was them thinking that there was like an easy YouTube fix to these problems, right? Like we're going to create our own content, we're going to get famous, and then we're going to be okay and everything's going to be great. And like one of the lessons they actually have to learn in the movie is we've been doing this for all the wrong reasons. Like everything we set out to do was for this kind of misguided reason of fame and reward and all this stuff, but that's not what it's about. So yeah, there's like, there is a weirdly, and as Evan said though, this might be the strength and the weakness of this particular vision of the Ninja Turtles, which is that it is a product of its time and such a, a successful update of the franchise for teenagers of today, right? Which is something I don't think they've really cracked the code on before. It's just been the Turtles here in a new style and time, not like what is it actually to be a teenager of this time and what kind of concerns, problems, and things are you looking at now? But I think April O'Neil kind of really does represent a really smart, way to to weave that into a character and and fill out that character and make her more interesting uh which is kind of a magic trick because we don't learn much about april at all right like we don't learn anything about her family like anything beyond this and that's a kind of a funny trick the movie pulls off but we'll get into that some other time all right i think we should take a quick break and then we're going to come back and real quick talk about what's coming next because this is not the end not by far so let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about the future of TMNT. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to Comic Book Nation's bonus round episode where we are breaking down Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. With me is Chris Killian and Evan Valentine. If you missed the first half somehow, rewind and listen to it as we talk about the movie and break down some specific points that we saw, full spoilers. Now we are here to talk about the future of the franchise. So, Paramount 
who also, full disclosure, we all work for too, but, you know, they're not paying us to do this, I don't think, unless we see a bonus later, uh, is has already, I mean, obviously had confidence in this movie before it, I mean, we're, we're recording this on opening day, but it, they already had confidence in it because they already greenlit a sequel and a spin-off TV series called Tales of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which will air on Paramount Plus and will fill the gap between this movie and the sequel film. So uh, this TV show is going to be 2D animation, not 3D. And the sequel will bring back director Jeff Rowe, who has already signed on to the sequel to Mutant Mayhem. So as we kind of talked about, and we haven't gotten into the actual spoiler discussion about it, at the end of this film, some some exciting new status quo stuff, both old and new, right? The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles win public acclaim, and they get to live out their biggest dream, which is just being normal and going to high school. And we have this kind of cute ending where they walk into the high school that April goes to and everything's quiet for a second, but then everybody's like cheering them on as heroes and kind of welcoming them into which, uh, again, it, it that hit me for personal reasons. Like I've had a child who is like neuro non-typical, but I've seen these days and I was hugely worried about that when she went to school. But it's really kind of been amazing to me to see how kids of today are like way more accepting than kids of like the eighties when I grew up and how much she can be celebrated in her school and, and all of that. So that really kind of resonated with me because um, it is a good thing to say about the teens and we don't say enough about youth often that is positive, but uh, they are more accepting when something, I mean, they're still kids and stuff is still cruel in high school, but when they are more accepting of variety and differences and, and all of that stuff. So that was nice. Um, but that was a little bit deeper than what I'm saying. That's going to be a great status quo setup for a TV show, right? Just what it's like when you're a turtle <laughs> trying to navigate high school. I mean, and I hope they don't shy away from getting into the awkward comedy of it all. Like what happens when a turtle tries to like mack a, a humanoid teen girl and how weird can that get and stuff like that. But um, what do you guys think about that? Do you think this is going to be a good step for the franchise or do you think we're already kind of going too hard too fast uh for me i feel like well one i don't think they're going to shy away from the comedy of this first movie is any indication i think that they're going to go full in on that and really try to probably zero in on what you said and what it's like to be a turtle navigating uh through high school but um i i am cautious in some ways, I feel very much about the turtles being public figures, like I feel about like Batman and Justice League, right? Like it, like it's okay that that's a like that I'll watch it, but I I definitely prefer Batman on his own, and in a similar way, I prefer the turtles being sort of you know secret under you know underground in the sewers, you know away from the public eye. And I'm curious if they're going to be some sort of uh, a, a swap where like something happens where they have to kind of go back into hiding. You know, that's that's very possible. I'm yeah. also cautious about I mean, we're talking about what's coming next. You know, you know, the big reveal in the mid credit scene, you know, Shredder. We know that Shredder's coming. And I am concerned that they're going to treat Shredder like a hired henchman rather than being the big bad that he truly is so i hope they are able to weave in some sort of back history or connection to the turtles that's a little bit more personal than just he's this great ninja who you know can can fight these guys 
I, I, I hope it's a little bit more involved than that because Shredder is such a good villain. I love him so much. I, I'm just really, I, I'm hopeful that they don't nerf him in a sequel. Yeah, um, I think, and I, I'm with you. Like, I feel like Shredder is like a dark side character. Like, you got to take your time and really kind of build up to him because the mystique of Shredder is like half of it. And those old movies did it great, right? You know, you mm-hmm. just see the silhouette and the blades and all that. But um, I, I feel like if done right, they can do it because it's like what happens? The public trusts them. Everything starts out high. But I don't think you have to do Shredder in the TV series. But it's like what happens when the Foot Clan starts showing up and then bad stuff starts happening that's clearly ninja related. And it's not necessarily about mutants right now, but it's just like it's the ninja part, right? Like somebody's going around New York City doing weird ninja stuff. And like we only know you guys are ninjas that we know of. Like how do the turtles deal with that when maybe that begins to kind of rub their reputation, especially if Splinter and them are starting to mess with them purposefully to kind mm-hmm. of undermine their reputation, frame them, drive them out so that they can then take them down without, you know, TCI getting, because TCI doesn't want any TCRI or whatever it is. TCRI doesn't want eyes on it because they're little brain aliens, right? So I could see Splinter kind of being, and that would be great if he is a mastermind and a true ninja, like subterfuge, you know, sabotage, kind of destabilizing which was what you say you know, splinter or shredder uh shredder i meant shredder i said splinter oh, yeah. good call out i said splinter but i meant shredder um, i thought that's what you meant yeah. i just wanted to clarify i yeah, know good call out um yeah because that's what ninjas did right they were they were infiltrators saboteurs they messed with things and having that side of shredder and not just brute and being a true mastermind and kind of like i don't know bad comparison at this time but like kind of a craven the hunter type is i i'd be in for that for the sequel but i hope that the show does more of just sprinkling in little Foot Clan ominous stuff happening in the background or in a couple episodes here. And it still mm-hmm. just does the wacky thing because one of my favorite parts of the movie was, I was telling Brandon Davis, was making me realize just how stupid a lot of those toys that I was so obsessed about as a kid really were. Like when you see them and this movie actually does acknowledge from the amount of comedic voices they put behind them from like Mondo Gecko to uh, what was the Ray Ray filet wing nut. I remember the day I got wing nut and thought I had conquered the world because it had wings. And I was like <laughs> running around with this ugly bat thing. Like I got wing nut. <laughs> like just looking back now and being like, what a stupid character that really is. Um, even Scuttlebutt who was like, And I remember, like, for the first time ever reading a comic book and seeing that Roach character and just the annoyance of trying to read that character because they put in all these ticks and hisses into the speech. Um, And just, I like that this movie just kind of had fun with that and was like, yeah, this is all ridiculous. And I hope that the TV series just continues to do that with some, because there's so many concepts. Like, there's a rock general, right? Like, I hope we can have all kinds of fun with those kind of silly-ass hurdles concepts in this show. I think that one of the things that, um, and another thing that kind of adds to where the franchise can go moving forward, aside from them all being um, high schoolers this time around, is the fact that all of the mutants that were a part of Superfly's crew are now living with the turtles uh, in the sewer with them. So you can have like Bebop and Rocksteady and Mondo Gecko and Wingnut and all these other, you know, all the cast will continue to be a part of their lives moving forward. Maybe it'll be a little top heavy, who knows at the end of the day, but like 
I'm anxious to see where this goes because this just hasn't really been done before uh, in any Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles story. So it's interesting in that respect. I totally get, um, like both of you, I'm a big fan of Shredder. I think Oroku Saki is a great antagonist uh, overall. We'll see. I, I'm kind of getting that hired goon feeling from the post-credit scene that they had. Yeah, I mean, let's uh, just put it out there. Like, we we all know this sequel is going to rocket past Foot Clan Ninja stuff and straight into space aliens. Like, we're going. Oh yeah, you gotta you gotta up the ante. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, I mean, <laughs> and aliens come be- aliens come before ninjas. So yeah, I, I feel like this is going to rocket. I think Shredder will be a big part of it, but yeah, I think. Krang and brains and all this stuff is gonna we're we're literally and figuratively rocketing right towards that. So yeah, I mean I don't know how Shredder's gonna fit into this. It could be in a TV show, who knows? It could be in a sequel film, but uh like you guys I hope they kinda do him right. Uh his silhouette at least looked badass, right? You know? You know, very, very bloody. Yeah, he looked awesome. And I, I think you're probably right. I, I would imagine they're going to save Shredder for the sequel. Uh, we will probably, I, if I was a betting man, I think we might see some foot soldiers or the foot clan or like little hints of Shredder. Like we'll hear about him. I think he'll have maybe a, 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 some, like he'll, he'll be talked about in the show, I think, but I don't think we're going to actually like see him in the show. Uh, final things, just cut touch on a couple points. I mean, I know Chris Killian, you should watch all his excellent interviews with the, with the, uh, crack cast and crew of this before the SAG strike, we must note. Yes. Before, before the, SAG the SAG strike. strike. Also on a note, we should, like, we probably won't be seeing that sequel for a while. Cause I did talk to Jeff Rowe and he told me that while it has been greenlit and while they do have plans, the script has not been written yet because of the writer's strike. Here, so. You're sitting here breaking Wonder Woman stories. You know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle sequel stuff. You're holding back on us on this podcast, Chris Killian. Uh, Bro, so there you go. There we you talk, go. The man talked to the man himself. So there you have it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we all know, like, yeah, SAG is in all this is got to get sorted out way before and hopefully not another round of animators also spazzing out after this. But we'll see with how that goes. But, anyway, that's to promote Chris's interviews. He got in before all this including with uh, Ice Cube, who talked for a while. Um, I Because uh, I thought Ice Cube was like the riskiest casting of all this. Putting Ice Cube into a character literally named Superfly was like, and not Baxter Stockman and all that, like so risky. But I thought he did a good job. And there are a lot of funny references here for music fans, if you're a music fan. like Yeah, he quotes Ice-T at one point, And I asked him if that was his idea. And Ice Cube took full credit for it. He, I knew he, he was, was like, ad-libbing. Oh, yeah, that's all me. I wanted to put as many references as I could in there. Yeah, I could tell he was ad-libbing. Because I was like, there's n- that, some of those references, frankly, were just too too deep black culture. I was like, there's no way that like Seth Rogen wrote this into a movie. Like Those lines are just so... like There's so many quotes. I would love to do just... The super fly quotes that he puts in. Maybe that's a fun article. But um yeah, I thought I thought he did a good job. And man, if nothing else, this the soundtrack of this movie, I can't tell you how good and like how weirdly it all came together that at the time I was like a big Turtles fan. My older brothers ten years ago older than me also introduced me to hip hop by handing me a single like tape and being like, Go listen to this. This is hip hop. And that song was can I Kick It by Tribe Called Quest. And yeah, man, if nothing else, this movie bringing that song back makes me eternally grateful because, yeah, that song slapped so hard and it was so great at the end credits of this movie. So good soundtrack, too. It's been a great year for sound for, for like 80s, fran- 90s franchises and Transformers, this, 
kind of slapping soundtracks, man. So go check that out as well. All right. I think we've done the thing. I think we've earned the bag on uh, for Paramount and Ninja Turtles today. I want to thank my guest co-host, Chris Killian and Evan Valentine. Uh, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, for me, uh, on Twitter, you can find me at Chris Killian. Uh, that would be X name. now. We don't want to get sued. Oh, you think we're gonna get sued? We're no, I'm just kidding. I'm I don't calling care. Twitter. I don't. I'm not calling it X. I'm not calling. I'm not doing it. It's Twitter. Uh, Chris Killian uh, at Chris Killian. That you can find me on there or on Instagram. You can find me at CK Comedy, and uh, that's pretty much with the two that I that I mess with the most. So find me on one of those. And Evan. Oh, you can find me on Blue Sky. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, you can't find me on Blue Sky at EV Comedy. But you can also find me on the site formerly known as Twitter X, also at EV Comedy. Um, yeah, uh, feel free. We post a lot of stuff there. So, yeah. All right. Thanks again, guys. I really appreciate you hopping on. If you guys are just listening because you're a TM and. I've been butchering this because you're a TMNT fan. <laughs> please be sure to go to your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to Comic Book Nation. We are the only show that does it all for geek culture every week. We cover everything Marvel, DC, TV, Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, anime, everything in between 80s, 90s franchises, wrestling, snacks that are coming out that are crazy. We do it all. So be sure to subscribe there and subscribe to our YouTube page at Comic Book Nation. Comic Book, all one word, dash nation and join us this friday as we'll probably talk a little bit more with the larger crew about teenage mutant ninja turtles a bunch of stuff that's happening on the tv side and kind of what's coming our way at the end of summer so be sure to follow us and don't miss a thing we are comic book nation and we'll see you out there peace